Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We need to make sure that we, we allow our faith to be seen in the society in which we live. I mean, I know things aren't going to get better. I'm not saying, oh, we just come together and sing Kumbaya and everything's going to work out. I, I know that. But you know what? That's kind of like saying, well, you know what? God's already chosen. Everybody's going to be saved. So why even witness or pray for anybody? That's a fatalistic attitude. And we're not called to have a fatalistic attitude. We do those things because God has instructed us to do those things. And God has left us here to be the salt and the light of this earth. Greetings in Christ, and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Our time together today helps celebrate the 4th of July, Independence Day. This weekend, we are all about celebrating our independence, but are we truly independent, and do we understand what that means, especially in light of what Christ has purchased for us on the cross? In other words, at the end of the day, do we really trust in God? We have it on our coinage, on our paper money as well. In God we trust. What does that mean? As we celebrate Independence Day, let's celebrate our true independence in Christ. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's program of Graceful Truth. See, we're to be the the oil of grace that is in this world, in this lost and dying world. And we're to be that all God calls us to be. We're to do it in a seasoning way, not in a way that's rude or crude or judgmental. You don't see those characteristics in Christ. Sure, Christ called sin, sin, and he called hypocrites, hypocrites. That's fine. But he was also compassionate. So we should engage society so that we can be a seasoning agent in that society. Secondly, so that we can preserve it. Do you know that our Christian faith is really acts as a moral disinfectant to this society in which we live? In other words, it helps stop some of this decay and this perverse behavior that goes on around us. We should be part of the solution to this, not part of the problem. And so many times we got that backwards. You know, you can take a filet and set it next to a little teaspoon of salt all day long. And it's not going to have any effect on that filet, is it? It's not going to do anything for it. What do you have to do to make that salt affect that filet, that piece of meat? That you have to take that salt and you have to sprinkle it on the filet. It has to come in contact with the meat. Or it's not going to do any good. It can sit in your cupboard all day long. You can have all kinds of spices in your cupboard. But if you never use them to interact with the food you eat, your food's going to be kind of bland. We're called to penetrate our society with our Christian faith. And our founding fathers believed that. Look at what John Adams said. Statesmen may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion... And morality alone, which can establish the principles upon which freedom can be securely, can securely stand. One of our founding fathers. Look at what Benjamin Rush said. I have been alternately called an aristocrat and a democrat. 
I am neither. I am a Christocrat. <laughs> I believe all power will always fail of producing order and happiness in the hands of man. He alone who created and redeemed man is qualified to govern him. And then Thomas Jefferson. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their own firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God? That they are not to be violated, but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country. Now remember, this was him writing this. When I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. See, the founding fathers agreed that Jesus, when they came together, that he was the center point. The Christian faith. And we learn from his words, and we learn even from their words, that they engage society. So we should season it, we should preserve it, and then thirdly, we should enlighten it. Verse 14 says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you put a light under a, a basket but on a stand, so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Once again, it doesn't say that you should become the light of the world, does it? It says you are. There's no second string here. There's no third string. We're it. That's it. And if we're not going to do our job, then there's going to be some darkness around us. So many times we complain in the society in which we live and all the debauchery and all the sin and all the filthiness that's going on all over the place. And yet how many times have we taken time to really pray and to ask God to move and to work? See, for better or worse, God intended that we are to be the people who light the way in an otherwise dark society. He left us here for that purpose. And just like the salt analogy, people of faith over the years haven't done all too well. Either we are all dark or we are so bright it's blinding. I mean, stop and think about this. What is the purpose of light? Is the purpose of light to blind someone or show them the way? See, sometimes as Christians we become so assertive, we become so belligerent that instead of showing the way, we blind people. Remember when I was in a cave one time and it turned all the lights out and I remember thinking, wow, it's really dark in here. I wish somebody turned the light on and somebody finally turned a flashlight on. And it was so relieving to feel that light come on. But it was almost painful when that person inadvertently shined the light in my eyes. Because my pupils were like the size of quarters probably, being in the dark. All of a sudden, you're, you know, if you ever had that habit, it's very irritating. It gives you a headache almost. See, light is, is not to blind somebody, but it's to show them the way. And we need to do a better job at showing people the way to Christ. Our priority is prayer. Our our place is people who engage society. And thirdly, our purpose, people of prayer who engage society to counter a corrupt culture. That's the purpose. That's why God left us here, to counter a corrupt culture. What do you mean? Well, you know what? We're the only light this world has. We're the only good news that they're going to hear is the gospel of Christ. You can take all the other soothsayers and the positive thinkers and everything. In the end, this stuff doesn't work. The only thing that really works to transform somebody's life is the power of Christ. And so he's left us here as his agents in this church time to go out into a dark and dreary and sinful and sometimes just pathetic and yucky world and roll our sleeves up and say, you know what? These people need to hear the gospel. 
And they're going to hear it from me and they're going to see it from me. And I'm going to try to counter this corruption that goes on in our society. Church fathers believe this, George Washington, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, look at what he says, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Indispensable. In other words, you can't do anything without them. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. What was George Washington saying? He was saying that you've got to have some kind of religious principle, some kind of foundation. He believed it was Christ. He believed it was Christianity by everything he wrote in order to keep society from going corrupt. Noah Webster wrote this. The moral principles and precepts found in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all of our civil constitution and laws. All the evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising and neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. That's pretty direct. Can you imagine if a congressman stood up and said something like that today? He'd definitely be out. They'd kick him right out. See, our purpose is to counter the corrupt culture in which we live. Jesus said that, you know what? If you don't do that, you're going to lose your saltiness. And if you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing, except people are just going to walk all over you. And Jesus was pointing that, you know what? This is when a society becomes barbaric. I mean, we like to think of our nation, we like to think of our citizens as, as sometimes sophisticated, kind of a classy culture. Today, we got the techno age going on. Everything's, you know, I this, iPhone. I, Doug, in one of his pictures, had a t-shirt on. It said, I dad, which I thought was, was pretty cute. And then they got a little one for, for the little baby. And I'll just say it. It said, I poop, <laughs> which I thought was real cute. We'll edit that out of the thing. But anyway... But we think ourselves as this sophisticated, classic culture. And you know what? There is a lot of good. I mean, we can't say that this country is even as bad off as it is. It's not one of the best places in the world to live. But beneath the surface, under the veneer of our image, there's a rottenness. that wasn't there 40, 50 years ago. I want to give you a little snapshot of our society in which we live. Just real quick. Do you know that every 4.5 seconds, there's a theft? And every 15.4 seconds, there's a burglary going on? America steal from one another at an incredible rate. $10.6 billion a year. The cost of crime each year to American businesses is upwards of $40 billion a year. $40 billion. Companies spend $4 billion a year on securing their own assets. And yet they still lose $7 billion to shoplifters. <laughs> Billion now, not million. Business Week said the total cost of crime is in the average of $450 billion a year. Can you imagine what our country could do with $450? Well, we maybe don't want to go there. But... You know, <laughs> but, you know, if we were just honest, violent crime 
has increased some 700% since 1962. 700%. Violent crimes committed in America are some 5 million. Every 34 seconds, someone is assaulted in America. One of seven Americans carry a weapon on them. And they're necessarily not the good ones, good guys. There's a rape every five minutes in America. It's one of the fastest growing crimes. It's four times faster than the general crime rate. In 1973, Americans spent $10 million on pornography. 1973. Last year, the industry topped off at well over $10 billion. Can you imagine? One billion of that was just for child porn. 1.5 million kids in the land of the free are used in children pornography every year. I mean, just to put it in perspective, $10 billion over that, that that's more revenue than all the box offices of all the theaters in America combined. That's more than the rock and roll and the country music makes combined. I mean, see, when we fail to be people of prayer, when we fail to engage our society the way God wanted us to and to counter a corrupt, a corrupt culture as we've done, what happens? Well, the whole culture suffers. America's, Americans kill one another more than any other country in the world. In 1960, there were 6,000 murders. Latest statistic I could get in 2006, there was well over 18,000. And kids, a year, and kids are killing, kids are killing kids. One writer said American kids kill each other more than any other country. See, our, our, our culture has become barbaric when you really look underneath the surface. But it's also become belligerent. You know, in the 1950s, there was no challenges at all to religious freedom. You know, you could put a cross anywhere you want. You could say whatever you want. In 1970, there were 84 challenges to religious freedom. People kind of raising their hands, well, that, that offends me. In the 1990s, there's over some 3,000 cases filed. Some of them include trying to declare the Pledge of Allegiance unconstitutional. There's suits to stop the president from using a Bible or to pray when he's sworn in. There's suits to stop chaplains in our military and in our Congress to pray. There's suits to remove in God we trust from our money. See, beloved, we gave up the universities, we gave up the public schools, and we gave up the court systems. We're about ready to give up the public sector. We're about ready to give up our ability to speak on behalf of God in this society unless we really come together and begin to understand the seriousness of the situation. I mean, when a staff psychiatrist in Kentucky loses his ability to practice, they yanked his license because he was dismissed for inappropriate behavior. You know what the inappropriate behavior was? He prayed with his patient. 
And they fired him. And here's what they said, quote, that his beliefs were, here's what they said, detrimental to the patient's safety and hospital population. Not only do we live in a barbaric, belligerent society, but we live in a blind society. We live in a day and age when people are blinded to the obvious. I mean, you see it on every case, every, every corner. I mean, when a 13-year-old is forbidden from taking an aspirin at school or getting her ears pierced without her parents' permission, they can't do that, but they can go have an abortion and never tell mom or dad. There's something wrong. There's something wrong when U.S. officials stand before the U.N. Assembly and argue that there are not two genders, male and female, but there are five, male, female, homosexual male, homosexual female, and transgender. We live in a blind society when we have an organization, the National Endowment for the Arts, that produces stuff that's so bad, no one else will pay for it. And when conservative lawmakers want people to see what our tax dollars are paying for as far as this crude artwork, and they wanted to display it in the rotunda for everybody to see. There was a big hoopla and a big case handed down, and they said, oh, no, you could not even display this stuff publicly because it's so offensive. <laughs> and then our tax dollars are going to pay for it. Go figure. We live in a blind society when government removes all funding for abstinent-based programs in our public schools. Even though the studies show that abstinent-based programs are the best at dealing with teenage pregnancy. We allow children in the first grade to be taught about homosexuality and how it's just an alternative lifestyle. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Some of the things that they fund in the lawmakers, what they fund is just incredible. I mean, millions and billions and billions of dollars going to, you know, study life on the beach, Waikiki. Somebody got a grant for that for like $500,000. Hey, right here, man, I'll do it for 50000 I'll go do your study. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we've seen this just happen. It's, it's simply because we've failed to interact. And we need to make sure that we, we allow our faith to be seen in this society in which we live. I mean, I know things aren't going to get better. I'm not saying, oh, we just come together and sing kumbaya and everything's going to work out. I, I know that. But you know what? That's kind of like saying, well, you know what? God's already chosen. Everybody's going to be saved. So why even witness or pray for anybody? That's a fatalistic attitude. And we're not called to have a fatalistic attitude. We do those things because God has instructed us to do those things. And God has left us here to be the salt and the light of this earth. And you know what? I get as frustrated as, as anybody else. Just ask my wife. We start talking about politics and it's just, you know, I just come off unglued. You know, I just, my, my brain can't comprehend some of the, you know, stupidity that goes on in our government. 
It's just ridiculous. But you know what? I've been very convicted lately that, you know, okay, great, you have your point of view and your political philosophy and all this, but are you praying for these people? Are you really praying that God would touch their hearts? It's interesting that one of the chaplains at Camp David is a guy by the name of Kerry Cash. He was a, in the Navy and the Marine Corps, I think, and he's a chaplain. And my nephew said, if there's anything this guy doesn't do, he doesn't compromise the Word of God. He was with my nephew Luke over in Iraq. And he said, this guy's just a tremendous preacher. He's just Baptist background, just very solid in his faith. And it just so happens that Kerry Cash is the chaplain at Camp David. And so when the first family is ever there at Camp David on a Sunday, word has it that President Obama actually likes to hear this guy preach. And I'm thinking, you know, it's so neat that God would put somebody there who's not going to compromise just because he's the President of the United States. And so we need to be in prayer that somehow, some way, God would interact. That we, he would activate faith in that man's life. I mean, that we would see change carried out in our society because of who God is and how he works through us. That's what we're called to do. Can we trust God for that? Are we able to say, okay, God, you know what? This is what you've told us to do, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And the results are up to him. I pray that we can. And I pray that our nation will turn around. It doesn't look good, to be honest, but, you know, I mean, God works miracles, right? And so we need to pray that God would call us back to our roots and what our founding fathers uh, believed Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, it's hard to conceive how far our country has come. And yet, it's also hard to conceive how far away from you it's gone. It's drifted. And Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work, first of all, in our own hearts, that we would be repentant people before you. That as your children, that we would realize that it's our role, it's part of our duty to be the salt and the light here in this, this world in which we live. And Father, this is, this is a great country, no doubt about it. And yet, there's so much injustice, there's so much sin, there's so much things that dishonor you. Lord, I pray that we would just do what we can in our little microcosm of our world. Maybe it's at work, or maybe it's within our family, maybe it's on our job, or at our school. That we would just live for you, and that we'd be faithful to carry the precious gospel of Christ to those who've yet to hear it. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. As I said, this is kind of a different kind of message. But Lord, it, it does boil down to where your allegiance is. Are you willing to pledge your allegiance to Christ? To trust him for your salvation? Put your faith and trust in him. Not in yourself. It's a hard thing to do. It really means you're kind of giving up control in a big way. That's tough. It was tough for me. But I'd never go back. I couldn't imagine living a life without Christ without his guidance, without his peace, without his forgiveness continually in my life. Lord, we're all fallen people. We all need forgiveness. We all need your grace. And it's there for the asking. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has yet to put their faith or trust in you, Lord, that they would cry out to you this morning. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me. 
Lord, I, I believe in God, but help my unbelief. Help me with the things maybe I'm having a hard time believing or yielding up to you. Whatever it may be, I pray that you would come to the end of yourself and realize that he's the only answer you have. You cry out to him and he would save you. He'll do that. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.